Spirit fill this room, impact our life. Fill Mark to a point to where he just really bubbling and nothing but the Holy Spirit. Help him speak and teach, but help us learn. Father, help this message impact our lives in a way and a manner that we can please you. We praise you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. It certainly is a big one. It's a very big one. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we sell a hamburger we modestly call the single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think you get bun back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. I have fond memories of laughing at that commercial when I was a child, which was a lot more years ago than I would like to admit. Let me ask you, what will your answer be? We have to stretch our imaginations a little bit this morning. But what will your answer be if at the end of your life, or what if God just showed up this afternoon and asked you, where's the beef? Now, he's not going to phrase it that way using those words, most likely. I don't know your life. Maybe he will. But probably not. But in our culture, that phrase, where's the beef, kind of became, especially back in the 80s when that commercial was popular, it really kind of penetrated. And it came to mean questioning the substance of something, questioning the reality, kind of questioning that, that balance, that question was often asked very sarcastically to question why is there such a difference between what's advertised and what's really there? Why is there such a difference between what is, what, what is claimed and what really is, is offered? So I think in that context, what if Jesus were to say to you, you identified as a Christian, you made this claim, but how come the reality doesn't quite match up? And I mean, I think we've all been there. We've all looked at some of those fast food commercials, and we have seen how great those burgers look on the billboard, on the television, even the signage in the restaurant. And then what they hand you is a little bit of a letdown. And what if God asked you about that letdown, about the difference between what you claimed and then what you really offered as, as a Christian? How will you answer that? How will you explain that difference to him? I'm going to tell you where I think that difference comes from for most of us, because I think for most of us, that difference is a reality. I think very few of us are really the Christian that we want to be, that we claim to be, that we would like to be, that we know Christ would like us to be. Let me tell you where I think that difference comes from. I think it comes from a matter of what we set in our life to pace ourselves. 
Now, let me let me back up a little bit, and I want some of you guys will know the name Elliot Kipchoge. Some of you won't. I see some people shaking their heads. No, I've got Ben's got a couple of photos. We're going to put the first one or the first two up there. There's a picture of Elliot Kipchoge, and he is in the Guinness Book of World Records. He is the first man on earth to complete a marathon in under two hours. 26.2 miles, and he ran that in less than two hours. The fastest man on earth, at least the fastest marathon runner. And Elliot Kipchoge, I keep saying that name because I'm so proud that I can pronounce it correctly, because that took as much practice for this sermon as anything else, trust me. Um, but he did everything he could to become an expert runner. He, he got the very best training and he consulted the very best athletes and the very best athletic trainers to find out what's the best time of the day to run, how far should I run, how fast should I run while I'm running that far. He consulted the very best people about how he should rest. When he's in the middle of running and he takes a, a, a stop to rest, how long should he rest for? How long should he sleep at night? What time should he go to bed? What time should he wake up? Should he have a different level of sleep the night before race day than he does the, the other nights? He, he took all of that into consideration. What kind of diet should he eat? What should he eat and what should he drink to, to have the maximum amount of good fuel for his body as he runs? What kind of exercise, in addition to running, should he do? What parts of his body should he strengthen and focus on? So much he even consulted what are the best kind of shoes, what are the best kind of socks to wear. Because those can make a very big difference, especially when you're trying to run 26 miles. And he took all of that into account and put all of that into his life to make him the very best runner that he possibly could be. But do you know what really made the difference for him? He had pace setters. Get that third picture, Ben. He has a team of pace setters that run with him. Now, these guys that you see, they don't run the whole 26.2 miles with him. He's got about 40 or 50 guys on his team that tag in and out while he's running. Many of them run multiple times, but the, the, the team, the pace setting team, will run a mile or two miles or three miles with him and then tag out for fresh runners. And their goal, this pace setting team, their goal is to set a pace that's not too fast because they don't want to exhaust him. But their goal is to not go so slow that he doesn't com com complete in a good time. And when you're running, eventually your body is going to shut down and they don't want him to shut down because he's been running so long before he gets where he's going. So they've got to move fast enough that, that he can get there before he shuts down, but slow enough that he doesn't halfway there just say, that's it, I'm all out of gas, I can't go any further. And he would have these, and they almost run in a box around him in different configurations, in front of him, beside him, behind him, and all he does is focus on his pace centers. When he runs, he completely ignores what the weather's doing. He lets the pace setters figure out, all right, it's starting to rain a little bit. Maybe we need to slow down just a little bit. It's going to rain. Maybe we need to go a little bit faster because 
in, in about three minutes it's going to be raining, so that's going to slow us down a little bit. He doesn't worry about the terrain. If it's going to be an incline, if it's going to be a decline, if he's going to go around a curve, if it's just a straight... He, the pace setters worry about what kind of speed they need for the terrain, and he just matches them. He doesn't worry about the time. He doesn't worry about how long he's been running or how far distance-wise he's been running. He just keeps pace with the pace team, and he lets them figure out, all right, we are at the halfway point, and it took us a little longer than we thought, so we need to go a little quicker. Or, you know what, we can afford to go a little slower because we are way past the halfway point and we're making really good time. He lets them worry about that. He doesn't even worry about his own speed. He just keeps pace with them. And he lets them do that thinking while he is out there running. All he does is watch the pace setters. And they get him there when he needs to get there. And they get him there at the speed that he needs to get there. At a speed that is healthy and safe and perfect for him and for his strengths. So let me ask you a question. Who is setting your pace? We're not talking about running. But we're talking about spiritual wise. Who is setting your pace? Why is there a difference between the Christian you advertise being and the Christian you really are? Because you got the wrong things set in pace for you. You've got your eye on the wrong stuff. So if God shows up and, and he says he won't use these words, but he says, hey, where's the beef? You can say it's been lost somewhere on the racetrack of life because I got my eye on the wrong stuff. I'm keeping pace with the wrong things. Now, absolutely sin is the wrong thing to keep pace with. But as, as I look around the room, the people that are tuned in watching us live, the folks that are watching us later today, later this week, I dare say people tuned into this, people here live watching this, they're not thinking about setting pace with sin. We're not getting out of bed in the morning saying, let me find some sin and have that kind of run my day. Now, we all struggle, but sin's not what we're looking for. But we make this mistake as believers that if it's not sin, it's okay to keep pace with. And let me tell you, that's often very wrong. Let me give you an example. What if Elliot Kipchoge is out there and he's running this marathon, 26.2 miles. And as he, as he gets to mile 10, he's got 16 miles to go. And, and his pace team, they tag out, and a new pace team tags in. And the new pace team is Pastor Mark and Pastor Steve and Brother Charles and Brother Sam and Brother James. And we, we surround him, and we make a box around him, and we're running, and we're setting his pace. Now, are we sinful people? I don't think especially. Are we, are we bad people? I certainly don't think so. Are we the right pace setters for him to, to, to complete this marathon? Not at all. Are we going to get him in the Guinness Book of World Records? Only if he's trying to set a record of how many passed out guys can he drag across the finish line at the same time. We are not going to set a good pace for him. We are not bad people. But we would be horrible pace setters for a guy trying to keep the speed. In fact, he would probably trip over one of us and, and injure himself. 
How often do we pick bad things to keep pace with? Matthew 10, verse 37. The Christian culture is filled with us grabbing the wrong things to keep pace to. Matthew 10, 37 says this. This is the easy to read version. So your version might be a little bit different. It says, those who love their father or mother more than they love me are not worthy of me. And those who love their son or daughter more than they love me are not worthy of me. Our Christian culture is filled with people that lift up family as the number one thing they should be keeping pace with. The number one thing that they should spiritually focus on. Now, I'm not saying to ignore your family in a spiritual sense. I'm not saying to not love your family. Jesus didn't say to not love your family. But Jesus said, you love your kids more than you love me. You got it backwards. If you love your mom and dad more than you love me, you've got it backwards. It's not that we shouldn't love them. It's that our love for him should should eclipse everything. But we don't do that. We get so caught up focused on family. I I have been working in student ministry for a couple of decades now. And I can tell you, I could make you a list of names of young people that I know. I wouldn't. I could give you a list of young people I know whose mom and dad were so focused on keeping them happy and giving them every opportunity and giving them everything they want. Good people, not sinful people, not evil people, but those kids have completely walked away from their faith because those kids were the entire spiritual focus of the house. How many conversations I've had with frustrated moms and frustrated dads and boys went to college and just just got over Jesus and stopped coming to church and stopped going to church. How come church isn't important to my kid anymore? And and over the years I've gotten bolder and bolder about saying, because Jesus wasn't important to you when you were raising him. His travel basketball team was more important to you than Jesus. Staying up all night and watching movies was more important than getting to church. We get these things out of order and we're keeping pace, not with bad things, but with the wrong things. If you keep pace with the wrong thing, you're not going to get where you're going. One verse over, one verse the next verse. Matthew 10, 38. Those who will not accept the cross that is given to them when they follow me are not worthy of me. You know what else we make an idol of? Out of Christians? We make an idol out of living trouble-free. Now, it's not wrong to live trouble-free. There is not one person in here that couldn't give you, name at least one thing this morning that they want done with, over with, out of their life, something that's burdening them or troubling them. But we have to acknowledge that being set apart comes with a life that is set apart and different. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 9. It says, Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the trouble we suffered in Asia. We had great burdens there, which were greater than our own strength. We even gave up hope for life. Does that sound like Hey, I'm a Christian. Everything's great. 
We're living our best lives right now. No, these are believers saying, hey, it was so bad, we gave up hope for life. We thought we were going to die. Verse 9, in fact, it seems like God has been telling us we are going to die. If you feel like God is saying to you that you are about to die, you are not in the middle of having the best day. In fact, it seems like God has been telling us we are going to die. But this is so we will not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises people from death. And we get so anxious, Lord, let this let this pass from me. Lord, let this be gone. Lord, let me get something else going. Lord, let me move past this. Lord, take this away from me. We get so focused on that that we get frustrated when it doesn't happen. When life is less than perfect. We get so angry and irritated sometimes with God. Not just with our situation, but with God. Because we've made an idol out of I'm a Christian and my idol is my life's got to be perfect because I'm a Christian. And if you're trying to keep pace with having a perfect life, you're never going to get where you're going. You're never going to get anywhere. Because none of you have cracked the code about how to have a perfect life. Because you're not going to. Another thing that we keep pace with that, that messes us up, Matthew 10.39. Those who try to keep the life they have will lose it, but those who give up their life for me will find true life. The things that we chase as believers, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about as believers. Well, we get caught up in a lot of stuff, don't we? Career, possessions, status, title, Political power, maybe you're not running for office, but you get real emotional about the guy who is that you want to vote for. And then when that guy wins, you get real excited. When that guy loses, you go into a deep depression. You're, you're chasing some sort of political power. Money. Well, we get caught up with money, don't we? Everybody in here does. We either want more of it or we're frustrated that we don't have enough of it. Usually both of those things at the same time. Happiness. Boy, we make an idol out of happiness in our culture, don't we? Boy, I want my comfortable couch and my big screen television. And I want that, I want that grill. And I want that nice car. And I want that great vacation. And I just want to be happy. Our entertainment, our relationships, we make an idol out of. We make an idol out of sex. Any of those things... Are they really, really wrong things? Used correctly, there's nothing wrong, nothing sinful about having a career, having a title. There's nothing sinful about having money. There's nothing sinful about relationships. But we can sure make them sinful if that's what we're keeping pace with instead of Jesus. And if we keep pace with this idea that our life our stuff we keep pace with our life and let me tell you something my life isn't what I should be keeping pace with because my life is temporary eternity with God that's eternal that is what I should be keeping pace with all the stuff that I've got down here is just stuff that I've got down here in my temporary home so remember, I talked about Elliot and all the stuff that he did, the shoes, 
and the socks and the diet and the exercise and the, the training and the rest and all of those things that, that he did to become fast. But what really helped him were the pace setters. If he didn't have those pace setters, all those things he did wouldn't have added up to enough to get him into the Guinness Book of World Records. If you do a whole bunch of Christian stuff, good stuff, but a whole bunch of Christian stuff, but you don't have Jesus as the thing that you were keeping your eyes on, all of that Christian stuff isn't going to add up to enough to make a real difference in your life. I believe that there are a lot of folks in hell who went to Bible study every week, went to church every Sunday morning, Listen to Christian music in the car. They had a shelf full of Christian books. It told anybody who, who would listen that they were a believer. I'm a Christian. But they were keeping pace with the wrong things and they didn't really know Jesus. And all of that Bible study and Christian books and Christian music, that didn't get them into heaven. So how do we keep the right pace? Flip one chapter over into Matthew 11. And this is literally about keeping pace. I, I love this. Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew says this. Uh, verses 28, 29, and 30 in uh, chapter 11 of Matthew. Come to me, all of you who are tired from the heavy burden you have been forced to carry. I will give you rest. Accept my teaching. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will be able to get some rest. Yes, the teaching that I ask you to accept is easy. The load I give you to carry is light. What this means, this original translation, when he says, come to me, you, are, you who are tired, I will give you rest. Come to me, those of you who are tired, I will set a pace for you that is perfect for you. If you are tired, come to me, and I'm not going to move you too fast, but I'm not going to move you too slow. I'm not going to put you down to sleep for 20 hours so that you're not productive, but I'm not going to keep you awake for 20 hours so that you're tired. You come to me and I will give you a pace that is perfect. Accept my teaching and learn from me and I will give you that perfect pace. First three words of verse 28. Come to me. What's he saying? What's he not saying? He's not telling us to go. He says, come to me. Boy, as Christians, again, we kind of get caught up in, in this go. And this is, I think it's a very Western idea. This, 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 in America, we got this, I'm going to be busy. Because busy is productive. And I'm going to go. And I'm going to go all these places. And, and I'm a believer, so I got to go. I'm going to go to Bible study, and I'm going to go to small group, and I'm going to go to youth group, and I'm going to go to discipleship group. And I got children's ministry and Sunday school and, and praise practice. And if we had a weekly prayer meeting I better get to. I better get to Sunday service every Sunday. I better get to the potluck every time there's a potluck. Go through the line four or five times. I better get to revival if we're having a revival. I got to get to the Christian bookstore and buy me some Christian books to read. I'm going to get to that Christian radio station and turn that up a little bit so everybody in my car knows I'm a believer. I'm going to find some Christian to watch on TV. And that's what I'm going to watch. I'm going to go to all this stuff. And Jesus is saying, come to me. He's not saying go and find 
a bunch of stuff that's kind of like me or about me come to me. There's nothing wrong with much of that stuff. You got to test everything. We've talked about that. Just because somebody on TV tells you they're a Christian doesn't mean they are. Just because the guy in the back of the book cover says he's a Christian doesn't mean that that book he's written is a Christian book. But there's nothing wrong with much of that. Jesus is saying, come. We find him. We come to him one-on-one. Prayer time, reading scripture, and sitting quiet with him. And you know what? Big parts of the Christian culture, they don't really understand that. That, that time that we spend in prayer. That time that we spend studying the scripture, taking a verse and just kind of sitting with it for 15 minutes. People will tell you, that's that's, that's not very productive, one verse in 15 minutes. I've had a, a rough week. I don't know personally anybody who's died from the coronavirus, but I know personally a couple people that in the last week have had a parent die, a young parent, a young man whose wife passed away, young and healthy, 26 years old, and she died. This has been a hard week for me. The other morning, I couldn't sleep. So I came up here because I've got keys. And I came up here and I I sat in here and I just sat in here and I left my phone on the back table and I sat with, with, with Bible in my lap and I just kind of sat looking at the cross, talking to God for about two hours. I read a little bit. I didn't study. I went to a couple places in the Bible that are my favorite places that give me encouragement and I just, just kind of like listening to a, an old favorite song again. I walked through the, the life of David and I walked through a couple places in Mark that I find really encouraging. I just spent this time quiet. And, and then a couple days after that, I'm on a Zoom meeting with a bunch of youth pastors. And, and we're, we're sharing what we've done spiritually for ourselves that week. And I shared that. with six other youth pastors in the meeting. Seven of us total. Five of them looked at me. And one of them said, how in the world is that productive or healthy? And the, and, and the rest of them are nodding their heads. Like, you just sat quietly? What, what is that? One of them got it. One of them understood. A lot didn't. But see, we don't meet Jesus when we're busy. We connect with him when we go to him. And that means shutting all that other stuff off. Come to me, all of you who are tired... Who is, who is given an exception from this? Anybody? Look, look, at, look at that verse. Come to me, all of you who are tired. So maybe the exception is people who aren't tired. Well, is there anybody who's not tired? Anybody in here physically tired this morning? Just a little bit. How about emotionally tired? But spiritually tired? And if you're not right now, anybody predict that 12 hours from now you'll be physically tired? Anybody already planning that Sunday afternoon nap? 
How about it being emotionally tired? Anybody planning on that? Anybody know that this life just kind of beats you up? And before the week is over, you're just going to kind of need some quiet for a minute because you're going to hurt? How about just spiritual exhaustion? Anybody kind of anticipate some of that? Come to me, all who are tired. Come to me, all of you, because you're all tired or going to be tired in the very near future. All who are tired from the heavy burden you have been forced to carry. So what burdens are you forced to carry? I mean, we carry the burden of our own decisions, which are, which are sometimes sinful and sometimes just poor planning. But we've, we've all carried around the burdens of our, of our own mistakes. But what else? Broken relationships? Family hurt, family pain, financial concerns, the culture, our health, the health of people we care about. What about the burden of, of raising children? What about the burden of raising teenagers, which is the sequel to raising children? And like most sequels, it costs more money and it's a lot noisier. These burdens that you have been forced to carry. He's not saying the burdens that some of you are going to carry. You're alive. You're going to be carrying a burden. Come to me, those of you who are tired from these burdens you are forced to carry. I will give you rest. And the key word there is give. He's going to give it. But in order for us to take it, we've got to take it. We've got to accept it. I can give you the best advice in the world. This is a hypothetical. So maybe not. But hypothetically, let's pretend I'm very wise. I can give you the best advice in the world. How does that advice help you? You take it and follow it, right? If I give you the best advice in the world and you say, well, okay, sounds real good, fat man. And then you walk out the door and you ignore it. Is my advice doing you any good? You've got to take it for it to do you some good. I will give you rest. But you've got to take it. And how do you get it? You put him as what you're keeping pace with. Because he says right in that, I'm going to give you rest. I am going to give you a pace that is spiritually healthy for you. That is emotionally healthy for you. That is physically healthy for you. I am going to take care of you at my pace if you let me. Be the pace setter. Accept my teaching. Verse 29. Well, where do we find his teaching? In his word, right? To accept it, we've got to read it. We've got to interact with it. Learn from me. Accept my teaching and learn from me. How do we learn? Do we learn by asking questions? I had a hundred questions in school every day. That's how I learned, by asking questions. And when I didn't ask, I didn't learn. You know what else is a big part of learning? Skin in your knees, skin in your elbows. Anybody ever fall off a bike when you were trying to learn how to ride a bike? About learning how to drive. Anybody, anybody ever break too hard? First time you were driving a car, you learn how to drive, and everybody in the car with you does this? How about after you've braked and come to a complete stop? Anybody take your foot off the brake 
and you just smash down on that gas pedal and everybody in the car does this because you take off at about 150 miles an hour out of that stop sign because you haven't yet learned how to delicately push those pedals. We learn by, by messing up, by screwing up. The 87 Nissan that I learned how to drive on, boy, I ground those gears a lot. That was a stick shift car. My dad just sat in the passenger seat and just made all kind of noises, much like the noise coming out of the car as I was grinding those gears. Somewhere, if you could find that, the, the dashboard of that 87 Nissan, I'll bet it still has the finger holes that my dad punched in there, holding on. And the first time I went, up, went around the corner, I took the corner at about 30 miles an hour. Car went up on two wheels. That dashboard still got those, those hand grips he made in it. But that's how we learn, by making mistakes. And with those mistakes and with those skin knees, you know, it's another part of learning, unfortunately, for most of us has been in my life, we quit when it gets hard. We walk away because we don't like the lessons. I've got a, a movie clip I want to share here. Just a, a real quick clip from a movie. It's from The Karate Kid, one of my favorites. The teenage kid asks the older man if he will teach him karate. And, and, and the old guy, who of course is very wise, that's the way movies work usually, he says, I am going to teach you, but the way I'm going to teach you is I'm going to give you some, some chores to do around the house. Sand on the floor, putting wax on the car, taking wax off the car, painting the fence, painting the house. I'm going to give you these chores. And it, it, it frustrates the teenager because he can't figure out what these chores have to do with what he's been asked to learn. Paint the house, say, say. Not to rest. Say, say. 
Show me wax on, wax off. Yes! That! 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 Show me pen to fence. That! Face! That! That! Show me sight of faith. Yes! That! 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 Show me sand of love. giving him a muscle memory foundation, a sense memory foundation of what he was going to need to begin to learn how to do karate. When we set Jesus as our pace setter, sometimes that pain in our life is giving us a, a spiritual muscle memory, a spiritual sense memory on how to deal with what is coming that's not here yet. And how often have we quit after the hardest part, but before we figure out what that's all about? Because I just want to walk away because this is too much for me to go through. What if the very thing that you are struggling with this morning, the very thing troubling you or worrying you, what if that is what God is about to use to give you part of a testimony so powerful that you're going to be repeating it from now until the day you die because he's going to show up and do something so great unless you decide "Eh, this is pointless and it hurts I'm walking away learn from me I am gentle and humble in spirit and he is saying look he is not cruel but our world is. And he's, he's, he's helping us see this difference. God is not cruel. But the world we live in is. Genesis chapter 3. All the way back to the beginning. Foundational to our faith. Then God said to man. In Genesis chapter 3. I commanded you not to eat from that tree. But you listened to your wife and you ate from it. So I will curse the ground because of you. You will have to work hard all your life. For the food the ground produces. You are going to have to work hard. All of your life. This is just one or two verses after he has gotten done telling the woman. You are going to have to work hard. All of your life. Because sin came into the world and tainted everything. And that made the world harsh and sometimes cruel. And sometimes hard for us to deal with. God isn't cruel but the world is because of sin. (laughs) The 21st verse of the third chapter of Genesis. The Lord God used animal skins and he made some clothes for the man and his wife. Then he put the clothes on them. Then he put them out of the garden. Where did those animal skins come from? God didn't run down to the Walmart and buy them. He didn't order them on Amazon. He didn't get them from the Bass Pro Shop. Those animal skins came from animals. In the perfect garden of Eden, in paradise, 
blameless animals were sacrificed so those people could have clothes. Once sin came in, it tainted everything. Everything. That makes the world unfair and it makes the world hard. I am gentle and humble in spirit. The world is tainted by sin and harsh. God's not tainted by sin. He is not harsh. And if we set him as our pacemaker, our pace setter, then then we are not keeping pace with something that's harsh. We are keeping pace with something that loves us more than we can imagine. Something that is gentle and something that is humble. And you will be able to get some rest. I love you so much that if you put me in that position and keep pace with me, you're going to have the rest you need. Because you are going to move at the pace that I have designed for you to move at. Verse 30, yes, the teaching I ask you to accept is easy. The load I give you to carry is light. And somebody in here right now wants to put their hand up and say, wait a minute. This isn't easy. This isn't light. What I'm walking through isn't easy and light. But have you considered that maybe you've got the light end of that burden? Maybe he's got the heavy end? Maybe your end isn't light. But his end is is heavier. He is setting the pace. And all you've got to do is let him set it. Have you ever been carrying something really heavy? And you're carrying it at a distance. And in your mind you're trying to figure, am I going to be able to get it all the way there? Or am I going to have to stop and take a break? But if I stop and take a break, the next time I pick it up, it's going to feel even heavier than it feels right now. Maybe I ought to just move a little faster so I can get where I'm going and I can set this heavy thing down. If he is the one that is setting your pace, he's going to get you there in a perfect time. All you got to do is keep your eyes on him and you don't have to worry about, is, is, is it too heavy? Is it too much? Should I set it down? Should I take a break? He'll let you know. And in fact, he's got the heavier end of it. So you don't really need to worry about it. Come to me and I will set your pace. Accept my teaching and I will set, and I will set your pace. Learn from me and I will set your pace. I am gentle. You can trust the pace that I'm going to set. I am humble. You can trust the pace that I'm going to set for you. If I set your pace, my teaching will be easy for you. You ever read something in the Bible and you think, well, that's, that's kind of hard. That's hard to deal with. That's hard to think about. I got to love him more than my children. I got to love him more than my, my parents. I'm going to have burdens. I got to take up my own cross. This is hard. If I set your pace for you, my teaching will be easy. If he is setting your pace, you're going to look at that hard teaching and you say, yeah, this is hard. It's not so hard that I can't do it. If I set your pace, your portion of the load will be light. You're going to have a load. You're going to have a heavy burden. But if he sets your pace, you are not carrying that burden alone. So what is setting your pace? The world out there seems to be going crazy. I mean, the coronavirus seems to be maybe worse now than it was when it, when it first started. 
politics. The next election is not going to be easier than the last one. The, the controversies and the anger in our world, it's not going away. The need to work harder and harder to make less and less, that's not changing. What are you setting as your pace setter? When you get out to run that race of life, what are you surrounding yourself with? Because if it's not him, you are not going to get where you're trying to go. And you are not going to get there at a fair pace. Lord, Lord, I pray that you will remove me from this message. And that we will look to you to set our pace. We will look to you as we move through life. Lord, I pray that you will challenge each one of us in here this week to let go of some of the things that we keep pace with and to embrace you. And Lord, I ask for that challenge knowing in my life how hard that could possibly be. But Lord, it's okay if it's hard. It's not okay if I have the wrong things in my life. Lord, I need you to help me get you as the center, as the thing to keep pace with. So Lord, I pray that not just me, but everybody listening to this, that you will give them that opportunity to make some changes and get rid of some of those, those things that we keep pace with that are not good for us so that we can keep pace with you. Lord, when you ask me, where's the beef? Why is there a difference between what you claim and what you really are? Lord, don't let my answer be because I foolishly set my pace with the wrong things. Lord, I just pray this in your son's name. Amen. 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 Good message, Pastor Martin. Thank you.